0: So
1: Well, that was just a glimpse of what happened at Fuge Camp. Why should our kids go to camp? Well, it looked like it was a lot of fun. That's one good thing. But that's not all. You know, they end up making uh, lasting relationships. They find a way to serve the Lord that week. But it really puts them in an environment to where they can uh, get closer to the Lord and find out really His purpose in their life So uh, let me encourage you to, if you have a a student that is in the 6th through 12th grade, student camp is part of something they need to be a part of. So inside the worship guide, there's a lot of information in there all about it. The deposit is due next Sunday, $60 by next Sunday. So uh, please notice students, 6th grade through 12th grade, you want to be a part of that. You don't want to miss that. Also, there's a deal in the, the uh, worship guide about kids camp for kids. That's a third grade through fifth grade. So you could check out that information in the worship guide, too, about all of that. The deadline for that deposit is on February the night. So uh, those two camps are really a, an important part of our students and our children. So uh, take advantage of that. Welcome. Good to see you this morning. Go Chiefs, we need this one don't we, we do, so uh, if you're a guest with us today, we're really not praying that the Chiefs win, but you can help us, you know, and encourage them, you know, that, uh, that maybe our Chiefs come through, but we're just glad that you've come to worship with us today, if you're a guest with us inside that worship guide, there's a little slip that says guest member response, We'd love for you as a guest to fill that out if you would. And uh, then you can drop it in the box at the door as you leave there. That's where we give our offering each Sunday. So uh, we're just glad that you've come to worship with us. And, uh, oh, did I, did I mention that my LSU Tigers won the national championship? Uh, all right. 15 and right. 15-0. We've done it. By you, Bengals pulled it out. We even beat Auburn. <laughs> well, we better pray. <laughs> Let's talk to the Lord a minute. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for loving us, God, and thank you for letting us live in this day. And today, we just come to worship you, Lord. And so we uh, realize. There's probably something you want to do in our heart today. Help us to be open to you right now, God. May your will be done in our life. As we worship you today, accept the praise from our lips and our heart. We praise you with all we got. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: My steps to your path, keep my feet from stumbling, keep me safe by your hands in the shadow of your wings. For who is God? Besides our God, keeping nearer, my God, to thee. Surrounded by all thy glory, with hands raised high on bended knee, keeping nearer, my God. Each time I sing, keep me nearer, my God, to Thee. Keep me nearer, my God, to Thee. Surrounded by Your blinding glory, with hymns raised high. open in
0: Thee. Keep
2: me nearer, my God, to Thee. Keep me nearer, my God, to Thee. Keep me nearer, my God,
3: Last week, we started to do something that we don't normally do, but I think we're going to keep this going for quite a while here. We took a time just to pray, and I know a lot of you pray during the week, and uh, but there's something different about God's people getting together and praying together. In this time, this isn't about a show or anything else, we don't want to put on a anything whenever we're here. It's all about Him. But I mean, if there's somebody, say for instance, if somebody in your life team this last week uh, brought up something that needed some prayer. You know what? This is a time where you can go and pray with Him. You don't have to stay in your seat. We're not, you don't have to be standing in front of your chair. This I'm saying go. Every one of us needs some prayer this morning. If there's one of us in here that says we don't need to pray or we don't have anybody to pray for, That's crazy. We all have someone that we need to pray for, or we have something in our lives. Maybe you want to go to somebody that you uh, know is a real prayer warrior, and you want them to pray for you this morning. This isn't, uh, nobody's going to think, oh my, their life is falling apart if they move around. No. This is what we do as the family of God. We pray with each other. We're there for each other. And we know that the only power that we have comes from him, so we talk to him. So let's just take a couple minutes. You can move freely about. You can you can pray where you're at, but let's just take some time and talk to our God.
2: Want to replace you, you are forever. More. There's no other God I come to, you are the one that I cling to, you are forever. More are you God you never change Lord you are and only you are God forever you There is no other God I
0: call to.
2: You are the one that I dream to. You are
0: forevermore.
2: forevermore. There's no other God I call to. You are the one that I cling to. You are for
3: we're going to sing something that you might have heard, you might not have uh, before. And it's called Christ be magnified. That's what we're doing here this morning with hopefully with all that we do and all that we say, we're magnifying him. I'm going to sing the chorus of this and you can sing it with me after. Christ, Christ be magnified.
2: Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his breeze arise. Christ be magnified in me. Christ be magnified From the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me. Sing it with me but, oh, Christ be magnified Let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me Oh, Christ be magnified Altar of my life, Christ be magnified in thee. Were creation suddenly articulate? With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then from north to south and east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified Where the whole earth echoing His eminence his name would burst from sea and sky From rivers to the mountain tops We hear Christ be magnified be Magnified
0: Oh,
2: Christ be magnified Let His praise arise Christ be magnified in me Oh, Christ be magnified From the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me When every creature finds its inmost melody, and every human heart its native cry. Oh, then in warning enraptured hymn of praise, we'll see Christ be magnified. Christ be magnified, let His praise arise, Christ be magnified, indeed.
0: Oh, Christ be
2: magnified, from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified, indeed.
3: Times we sing these songs and it seems like, it. like we're going to do something for God, but we know we can't do anything for Him. It's not about us; it's all about Him. And we know the only way we can do any of these things that we say is by the power that He gives us. This morning, I want you to really look at these words. That we're gonna sing here in a minute it says, "I won't bow to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. We can do none of that on our own. We can't stand here and say that you know what, I won't. I won't let my feelings get get a, the best of me because." We're human, but through his power, we can ask that that is our prayer this morning, that he will truly empower us to do those things so we can stand for him sing that. I won't bow
2: to idols, stand strong and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be for my feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation. I'll be crucified. Sing that again. I won't be to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be. My feelings, I hold fast to what is true. The cross brings transformation. will be crucified with you. Cause death is just the doorway to resurrection. Life. If I join you in your sufferings, and I join you in your rise, you can hear eternity. All the angels and the saints My heart will still be singing My song will be the same Oh, Christ be magnified Let His praise arise Christ be magnified in me Oh, Christ be magnified to of my life, Christ be magnified in me, oh, Christ be magnified, there is His praise rise, Christ be magnified
0: in me, oh, Christ be
2: magnified, the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me oh Christ be magnified let his praise arise Christ be magnified in me oh Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me
3: kids it's time for you to go to children's church and the rest of us to greet one another
4: To those of you here at Garden City, uh, to the crew at Adrian, to the team at Lewisburg, good morning. Welcome to Heart of Life. And go Chiefs. Very good, I'm impressed. Are you excited? Ready to roll? The reference was made earlier that we're not actually praying for the Chiefs to win. And I'm thinking, no, some of y'all are. Some of you are actually praying that the Chiefs will win. But I want to say, if you're doing so, some of you need to start with some repentance for what you said during the first quarter of last week's game. You do. You do. That's where you need to start if you're going to pray, all right? Now, I know I'm pretty confident. Here's what most of you are thinking, though. Jeff, in light of the fact that your LSU Tigers won the national championship, I'm surprised that you're not wearing something to celebrate that most magnificent truth. And my response to you is, oh, I will. But first, we got to get the Chiefs to the Super Bowl. That, that's, that's what needs to happen first. Um, besides, my national champion attire has not arrived yet. So when it, when it does, then, then I'll wear it. But here's what I'm thinking. If I could own an LSU Tigers National Championship shirt and a Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl Champion shirt in the same year, that would be like life-changing, don't you think? I'm pretty sure that would be life-changing, or maybe not. Would it be more fun? Yeah, it would. It'd be more fun. And the truth of the matter is, when the Chiefs win, y'all are nicer people. You are. You you are. You're you're just nicer people when, when the Chiefs tend to win. And it's this funny thing that happens where I watch people who are not even sports fans They they don't really follow the Chiefs during the year. The only reason they know if the Chiefs win or lose is because they hear other people talking about it. But we get to this point, and all of a sudden, oh, they're going to watch the game, right? Everybody's going to watch the game. Everybody's on board. It's like everybody's on the same page. But the truth of the matter is, it's not life-changing for most people. Maybe if you're playing the game, it is but it's not life changing for most people. I'm excited though to be a part of something that we're doing as a church. It's called the same page and it is life changing because what we get from God's word changes our life. And what same page is about is we are reading through together the entire story of God. The whole thing, whole Bible, all the way through this year, and and we want to do that together. And the question is, what if more than ever, Heart of Life was on the same page? Not just with each other, but with the heart of God. I'm telling you, it will be life changing. So each week, we read every day a little bit more of the story, and then each week, we're gonna talk about something that we read from within the week. Today, we're hanging out in Genesis chapter 29. You've got an outline that was put in your guide today. I encourage you to use that. Grab something that you can write with, a few notes that you can take along the way. Today, it's a story within the story of a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob is the son of Isaac, which makes him the grandson of none other than Abraham. Now that's a pretty good role, right? I'm, grand, I, I'm Abraham's grandson, that's, that's who Jacob is. But what we see in Jacob, and you read the story this week, we, we've got a man with some inner emptiness. Uh, it's like there's a vacuum in him, a, a need for approval, a need for affirmation from people, a, a need for the blessing from others. And it's interesting that in Genesis chapter 28, the the chapter right before what we're about to read, Jacob has a first-time personal encounter with God. It results in this commitment from Jacob, this covenant relationship with God. But when we get to chapter 29, there is not yet a full Remedy for the inner emptiness that Jacob is struggling with. Now, I mention that because the the first note that I want to give you today, the first thing I want you to fill in today is almost a lesson before the lesson. It's just when you see this whole picture, this is something that I want you to see. In a relationship with God, transformation takes time. And even involves our mistakes, yet God is working in your life. I want you to write that down. I think that would be encouraging to some of you today. In a relationship with God, transformation takes time. And it even involves our mistakes. See, for some of you, you you met Jesus and someone immediately told you that all your struggles were over. That's why you need to read the Bible to find out what it really says. And today we see a most accurate picture of this with Jacob. So here's the background. Let me set it up and then we're gonna, I'm going to read to you a little bit. God told Jacob's grandpa, Abraham, I'm going to save the world through your family. Abraham, through your line, I am going to send one who is going to deal with sin and with death. And so in every generation that follows after Abraham, there's always going to be one who's who's going to be of the Messiah's line. That one, God is going to walk with them, going to bless them in order that that faith gets passed to the next generation and the next generation until the one arrives. Well, back in chapter 25 and 27, we get the information Jacob is the one in his generation. Even though he's the youngest, he's not the oldest son, but, but God said the, the older is going to serve the younger. Jacob's going to be the one. But the problem is Jacob's dad, Isaac, he loves Jacob's brother, Esau. To the point that you, you, Jacob feels second, and he's resentful of it. You read the story this week, or hopefully you did, and I'm telling you, if you're not reading it, you need to jump on board. If you're behind, just push today's button and keep rolling, because I'm, I'm telling you what we read last week. And so jump in with us. But these are the stories that we get. Jacob tricks his father. When his father is very old, Isaac is near death. He deceives his father into giving him the blessing that belonged to the firstborn. It belonged to, 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 to um, Esau, but, but Jacob tricks him into giving it to him. And so his brother vows to kill him. Jacob is running for his life. He's at the point now, he has no family. He, he has no inheritance. He runs to his mother's relatives just to survive and we pick up the story today with uncle Laban and they're talking wages Jacob you're working for me we should talk wages let me just read some of the story for you today let's pick it up with verse 15 Laban said to him just because you're a relative of mine should you work for me for nothing, right? Some of us know the answer to that question is always no, right? We don't, work, we don't work for nothing. Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had really good eyesight. Is that what it says? Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel could see a long way. When we get to this phrase, weak eyes, and scholars really aren't too sure what that actual phrase and that custom would be, what, what that culture, what, what does that mean? Here's what, <laughs> it, when you read the context, it's obvious that he's not talking about eyesight. Does it mean that her eyes were sad? Does it mean that her face was droopy? Does it, what does it mean that she have eyes that bugged out? We, we don't really know, right? But the whole point is, Rachel is stunning. That's what the words mean. And Leah is not. Let's keep reading. Jacob was in love with Rachel, shocker. Right. He's in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Thanks, I, th- I think. Right. Is that, is that like a OK, th- thank you. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him all oh, because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. 22. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. He took his daughter who? Leah. And brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. If somebody just told you that story and then like you never read it, you'd be like, that's not really in the Bible. What a story. What a story. I'm going to go ahead and give you just an overarching principle that we see in this most remarkable story, and then we're going to talk it out today. Here's Second thing I want you to write down today. People with an inner emptiness often give themselves to a hope for one true love. don't you write it down? People with an inner emptiness often give themselves to a hope for one true love. In other words, out there, somewhere out there, there's that one person that will fix everything for me. Jacob's declaration is, I will work for Rachel. She is stunning. I will work seven years for her. Now, normally, normally 30 to 40 shekels was a normal price that that a man might give to a father even before a, a, a wedding would take place? Well, if you, if you figure about one and a half shekel is the going rate for a month, that means about 18 shekels a year. So two years gets you to 36. That's about a normal amount. Seven years? In other words, Jacob is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. He would say in love with Rachel, but oh, it only seems like a few days. It says in verse 21, I want you to see this again. Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. Robert Alter is a Jewish scholar. He's a, uh, just an expert in the Hebrew narrative. Um, He points out how much of a problem this verse is to most Jewish commentators. Because it's so out of custom. I I want to make love to her. In our culture, we'd say, I I want to have sex with her. The the Jewish rabbis struggle with that phrase so much because there's no way on earth a Jewish man would have said that in that day. Now, he's not saying they might not have been thinking it, but they would not have said it. They would never say that. And it's just this indication, something so outside the normal lines. Jacob is emotionally and sexually overwhelmed with longing for her. And he will do anything for her. Why is he like that? And I'm telling you, the story paints the picture. This is how Jacob deals with the failure in his life. The rest of his life has fallen apart. He's lost the relationship with his dad and his brother, his his family. There's no inheritance. He's running for his life. It's falling apart. But if I could just get her, if she were my wife, then my life would be right. My life would be worth something again. This will fix it. This will fill the vacuum. Ernest Becker Wrote a book quite a while ago. It was 1974. It was actually a Pulitzer Prize winning book called The Denial of Death. Now, Ernest Becker is not a Christian. He's an atheist. But there's something interesting that he writes in this book. He points out how in ancient times, love, like we think of romantic love, was seldom the basis for marriage. In ancient times, seldom was romantic love the basis for marriage. But he points out how in our day, in a a modern day, we put way too much weight into finding the right person. And he says it's because we're trying to make up for the lack of spiritual fullness. Now, here's a guy who's not a a believer, but he's saying there are people who claim there's a God, but the truth of the matter is they may claim there's a God, but they're empty. And because of their emptiness, they're trying to fill up that emptiness with someone. And here's a quote that he makes. I just want you to listen to this. After all. After all, Becker says, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to a position of God? We want redemption. That's an interesting word for a guy who's not a Jesus follower. He said, we want redemption, nothing less. We want to be rid of our faults, of our feelings of nothingness. We want to be justified. We want to know that our creation has not been in vain we turn to the love partner for the experience of the heroic. For perfect validation, we expect them to make us good through love. Needless to say, human partners can't do this. He's right. And I'm going to take it even further because the Bible takes it even further. Whatever you pursue maybe it's not just a relationship but it could be something else whatever you pursue as your one true love will always be disappointment and disillusionment in the morning whatever you pursue as your one true love will always be disappointment and disillusionment in the morning Once Jacob agrees to work for seven years for Rachel, I think Laban knows I got this guy. You know why? Because that was just a ridiculous statement to make. To say that you would work seven years for her, it's like, it's like Laban knows I've got this dude on the ropes. Like I can do whatever I want to do because he's out of his mind. Now here's what's funny. When Jacob says, I'll work seven years for her, Laban never says yes. Isn't that interesting? He says some things, but he never says yes. But you know what Jacob hears? Jacob hears yes. You know why he heard yes? Because he wanted to hear what? Yes. Yes. Anybody relate to that story? Where you can look back in your life and go, I was so centered in on this one thing that I thought would fix it all. I was so centered in on this one thing that I thought I had to have. I, I put this at the center of it all. And even though nobody said yes, I heard yes because what I wanted to hear was yes. You say, okay, but how does this thing happen, man, where it's possible that like it could be Leah and he doesn't know it's Leah till, how does that happen? Well, here's, here's what you got to understand. Culturally, you got a wedding where the bride is more than completely covered the entire time. They, They were not only in the garb that she would wear, but a veil that she would wear the entire time. There is a procession that happens completely veiled. A ceremony that happens, completely veiled. A feast, even after the ceremony, completely veiled. Veil is never removed, completely covered, until the bride and the groom go into the tent. At which point, there is no electricity. None. And it is just the fact of the culture. You study it after a feast. Well, guess what goes with food? Drink. And after hours and hours of food and drink, they go to bed. Jacob says, oh, Rachel. And then in the morning, he says, oh, Leah. Laban had given him the older sister. In verse 25 Jacob's response is why have you deceived me Laban why have you deceived me I mean come on does Laban really think he's gonna get away with, I mean seriously can you get away with this verse 25 continues Laban replied it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one now I don't know about you but when I first hear that okay that doesn't do it for me that, that wouldn't work for me uh, is that's not really an answer that's still cheating that's still lying that's still fraud you ever wonder why Jacob just sort of seems to give in here you ever wonder why he just seems to quietly move on Well, it's interesting that when you translate this Hebrew language, and I'm just going to kind of put it in how we would literally say this today. When Jacob says to Laban, why did you deceive me? Here's how Laban answers him. Well, around here, it's not the custom to put the younger before the older. And I'm telling you that when Jacob heard those words, It was like a flaming spear into his conscience. Because guess what, that word deceive that he uses is the very same word that his daddy Isaac used when Jacob deceived him getting the first birthright when the younger stepped over the older. And all of a sudden Jacob realizes what Laban is doing to me is exactly what I did to my dad. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Robert Alter, again, quotes a, a rabbi um, who used to tell a story of imagining. He's saying, I'm just imagining what the conversation would have been like between Jacob and Leah. And he says, I wonder if it went something like this. Jacob says to her, I called out Rachel in the dark, but you answered. Why did you do that to me? And Leah responds to him your father called out Esau in the dark but you answered why did you do that to him and all of a sudden Jacob knows what it is to be used he knows what it is to be lied to he knows what it is to be exploited just like he had done to other people but see really really it's both Jacob and Leah who are reaching out into the dark thinking that this is something that it isn't because I will remind you Leah's story is in this mix too and can you see the shattered picture? I mean, Leah, I mean, it's just what the narrator tells us she's not attractive she's not attractive and the point of the the whole picture is if she's going to get married there had to be a trick to do so, you had to trick Jacob to do so. You had to deceive him in order to do that. In other words, come on, think of this lady and the rejection that she feels. She's been looked over her entire life. She lives in the shadow of a younger sister who is stunning. Really? Really? Leah is Jacob's soulmate, not Rachel. They're just alike. Leah and Jacob are doing what they're doing to try to fill this vacuum inside of them. She just stayed silent. And she got married, but now, Jacob has also married Rachel, and it says very clearly in verse 30, I mean, what does this do for your heart as Leah? Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and so every time Leah has a son, and in the rest of the story, you read about three sons that are born. And it's interesting that each of the names of those sons are connected to an expression of her heart. We're told that one of the sons was named Reuben. Reuben means to see. And it's this call from Leah, maybe now my husband will actually see me. Maybe now he he will see who I really am, that, that I am worth something. Maybe he will see me. Then she has a son named Simeon. It means to hear. Maybe now my husband will actually hear my heart. He will hear my words. He, it will be of value to him. Then she has a son named Levi. Levi means to attach. It's like maybe now we can actually be attached. Maybe now he will finally love me. And you got this picture of everybody who's looking for one true love. If my husband would just love me then I would be visible, I would be heard, I would be worth something. But for Leah, this is worse than being married. Seriously, this is worse than being married. Because the one person to which she is looking for redemption, if you will, is now in the arms of the woman whose shadow Leah has been in her entire life. And I imagine Leah sitting down with, with her friends and the word I, I, and I'm just imagining, the the word that I imagine her using to describe her circumstance is hell. She would. If it were like our day, it's like when you can't imagine anything worse. That's a, That's the word that people tend to use. Like I can't imagine anything being worse. Every day, every day, this is against her, this man she wanted love from actually loves her sister more. Every morning, as she she watches her three boys run around, she looks into their faces and she sees the face of the one who has rejected her. Every night when she's laying in bed, awake, because she just wants that spot next to her to be filled. But it's not because he's with somebody else. In all of life, whatever you place in that center, I'm telling you, you go to bed with Rachel, you wake up with Leah. There's always disappointment. There's an interesting quote that I saw this week. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. That's a pretty serious statement from a funny man, Jim Carrey. Now, interesting. Every relationship, every marriage, every job, every project, every achievement, he's saying in the morning, it's always Leah. C.S. Lewis said if people could just really learn to look into their heart, they would know that what they want is something that this world can never actually give them. Whatever it is. And maybe it's good things. Because come on, marriage is a good thing. Family is a good thing. Sex is a good thing. Work is a good thing. All those things are good things. But but if, if they are the thing that you place at the center, if that's where you place your hope, it will always disappoint. Some people don't realize that. And so they just keep trying to get a better one. Cause the one in which they put their hope didn't fix it. So they try to get a better one and it disappoints too. So come on, where's God in all this? It's a beautiful question to ask in this story because we have some really beautiful answers. Where is God in all this? Well, here's what we see. God loves the unwanted. He loves the unwanted. Leah is unwanted. Whether or not you like saying that or not, it is the picture of this story. She is unwanted, but oh, she is wanted. It says in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, and then you see how he loves her. It's a beautiful picture. She gets her life back. For most of her life, men have tried to take it. Either her dad is using her and manip- manipulating the story, or, or Jacob is, is seeing her as, as this object that will solve it all, putting the weight of, of God upon her. But all of a sudden, when she sees how God loves her, and she entrusts to him, it's like he gives her her life back. God loves Jacob. come on he's he's the deceiver everybody's out after him but but god loves jacob doesn't doesn't give give up on him where is god in all this god loves the unwanted but i also want you to see that he works through the unwanted he works through the unwanted look at verse 31 again it says that when the lord saw that leah was not loved he enabled her to conceive there's this picture through the story of how God continues to work in Leah's life even though the first three boys all represent still this longing in her heart she's still looking to her husband to fulfill this vacuum that 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 she wants filled God is still working and he does not stop until it says in verse 35 she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now this is the fourth, right? I gave you the three. Here's the fourth. This time, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Judah actually means praise. And isn't it interesting that this time, where is Jacob mentioned he's not Jacobs not mentioned this time this time it's different this time I'm praising the Lord The deepest adoration for Leah now is not belonging to her husband. The deepest adoration for her is not belonging to her children. They're not bad. That's not a bad thing. You just can't put the deepest adoration of your heart there. They will not fill that vacuum. I think that's why it says she she no longer had any more children. That's not a negative statement. I think it's the narrator's way of saying her children are no longer what she's trying to use to fill the emptiness inside. They're not made to do that. Jacob wasn't meant to do that. This time I will praise the Lord. It's an interesting word there. In the book of Genesis, there are two primary names for God. One, when you see G-O-D, capital G-O-D, it it is the name uh, Elohim. It is uh, the all-powerful one. But when you see Lord, like you see in this text, it is the covenant name for God. It refers to the promises of blessing that God had made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. It refers to God as Yahweh. And when someone referred to God as Yahweh by his covenant name, that only happened because they personally had come to believe those promises that God had made about a relationship with him. When she names her last son, it clicks for her right she gets it there is a God that I praise because he has made this covenant with me she recognizes this relationship it is deep it is rich it is never ending this is not something secondhand for her she knows God and in chapter 48 you'll read if you haven't read it already Judah becomes the one through whom the King, the Messiah will come. So get the picture here. God looks at the girl that nobody wanted. And not only did he love her, but he said, you're gonna be one of the great, great grandmothers of the one who's going to change everything. It says in Luke chapter 3, when it's giving us the genealogy of Jesus, it's, it's rolling down the line. The son of Perez, the son of, there he is, Judah. Do you understand this God that Leah comes to know, this God that Jacob comes to know. He is not a God who requires strong people to get to him. He is a strong God who gives grace to weak people who want to get to him. Through Jacob and Leah, God is going to do something more amazing than the world has ever seen. Through their line. Isn't that crazy? The guy who's empty and is not loved. The girl who is empty and is not loved. All of a sudden, no longer are they empty because all of a sudden, they know now what belongs at the center. It is only a God who can love them in this way. And through them, he's going to save the world. Come on, that's how the gospel works. What a God. What a love. How does he do this? Well, here, where, where is God in all this? He loves the unwanted. He works through the unwanted because he becomes the unwanted. Let me read a little bit to you from the prophet Isaiah. Here's what we read about Jesus. You ever wonder like, what does Jesus really look like? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we get the pictures and all the big flowing long blonde hair when all that's an interesting story of different times and why people paint him to look like he is, right? But you ever wonder, like, what did Jesus look like? Well, Isaiah gives us a little bit of a picture, and here's what he tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I wonder if Jesus had... Weak eyes. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Why would he do that? Well, if you keep reading in Isaiah, it says this in verse five, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus chooses to be rejected so that you and I know that he does not reject us. So many people, I think, when they think of God, they think of <clears throat> He is a God at the top of the steps. He is a God that I need to get to. But in order to get to Him, the God at the top of the steps, you, you, gotta, you gotta be good enough to get to Him. You gotta be beautiful enough to get to Him. You gotta be valuable enough to get to Him. And can I, can I add to the picture here? He is not just the God at the top of the steps, He is the God. Who is the steps? So, what is our hope? Here's our hope your good morals, good you, beautiful you, valuable you will not get you into God's story. (laughs) You're like, "I I thought this was good, I thought this was hope. No, it's it's the truth. None of us, we all fall short. We we all miss, we all sin. We all fall short of the greatness of our God. Our good morals will not get us into God's story. But the good news is that God chooses to step into your story. He chooses to step into my story. He chooses to, to become that which is not beautiful. He chooses to become that which looks weak, that which is despised in order that he might do what we could never do. He takes my sin and he gives me his goodness. Why would he do that? Because Jesus loves me and he loves you. The one true love is Jesus. There is one true love, it's Jesus. So please don't don't miss what we're saying today. Marriage is good, but marriage can never do what Jesus can do, you hear me? Marriage is good. But it can never do what Jesus can do. And so when you put the weight of a savior on marriage and expect that marriage will save you, fill the emptiness, fill the vacuum, it never will deliver. Children are good. But children can never be the center thing in which you find that value and fullness and purpose. You can't. I I remember when when my kids were born, this was such a wrestling match for me of knowing in my heart. I, I don't know how to think of such a better, more miraculous blessing than than God giving you children and the whole point was so don't turn this blessing into your God. They'll never be able to deliver. Work is good, but some of you do the work that you do in order to try to fill the emptiness inside. You do the work that you do in order to achieve something, in order that that you might feel valuable, in order that somehow you might seem good enough. That's a fight that we never win. We never win. Because in the morning, it's always Leah. So I'm going to close today by just reading a little part of a story to you. It's just a part of the story from something called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's something that um, some of you have for your kids. If you don't, I would encourage you to get it. And it's a part of the story called the girl that no one wanted. I don't think people read to us enough. We don't read to each other enough. So, I want to encourage you to maybe just kind of put everything aside for a moment and just allow me to just read the end of this story to you. And you hear No one loves me, Leah said. I'm too ugly. But God didn't think she was ugly. And when he saw that Leah was not loved and that no one wanted her, God chose her. To love her specially, to give her a very important job, one day God was gonna rescue the whole world through Leah's family. Now, when Leah knew that God loved her, in her heart, suddenly it didn't matter anymore whether her husband loved her the best or if she was the prettiest, someone had chosen her. Someone did love her with a never stopping, never giving up unbreaking, always forever love. So when Leah had a baby boy, she called him Judah, which means this time I will praise the Lord and that's just what she did. And you'll never guess what God gave Leah. You see, when God looked at Leah, he saw a princess. And sure enough, that's what she became. One of Leah's children's children, children would be a prince. The prince of heaven, God's son. And this prince would love God's people. They wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. They wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. They wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. He would love them with all of his heart, and they would be beautiful because he loved them like Leah. And like... Let us pray. God, this is one of those stories. One of those stories where it is um, almost impossible for any of us not to find ourselves somewhere in this narrative. God, I thank you that you, you know our heart. I thank you that you call this what it is. You know all those moments, God, where we have tried to cope with the messes in our life the mistakes in our life by trying to put something besides you at the center and believing that it will fix it all and god for some of us we have done that with relationships god today i i am so praying so crazy hard for god just especially the young hearts in this room god so many Guys and girls whose heart God longs for love and there's nothing wrong. God, there's something beautiful about being able to love another. And yet when we begin to place that other relationship at the center, God, believing that that is what we need to be beautiful, believing that that's what we need to be valuable, God, it never delivers. So God, I pray for the hearts today. God, I pray for the hearts today who have those relationships, God, that you'll teach us how to see them correctly. God, we're never going to love someone else better than when we know how you love us. God, I pray for those who have done the same thing with their work. God, some people, it's some of us, we've poured into our career. It's about what we can achieve. And the bottom line is all of it is about trying to cover up. It's about trying to fill up this, this emptiness. God, today, will you give us eyes that can see? God, what we pursue, it is the evidence of how we have dealt with our mistakes. Jesus, we want you to be magnified. Jesus, we need you to be the praise of our soul. And so will you do in us what you did in Jacob and what you did in Leah, God, will you help us see? God, who we are in you, who we are in you, and may you be magnified. May you be magnified in all. It's in the name of Jesus that I ask it today. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I Thank you for listening today. We're going to sing this song kind of to help our hearts wrap around what we've talked about today. If you need prayer today, we're available, not just during this song, but even afterwards. Let's magnify him. Let's stand together as we sing it.
5: Were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be I'll hold fast to what is true If the cross brings transformation I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just a doorway For being here with us today um for those of us who have kids in children's church um we have the bottom line for you today i think maybe not it won't come up well you're all out of luck then <laughs> you just have to trust that your kids are telling you the truth about what they learned in children's church today <laughs> but uh thanks for being here with us this morning have a great week we'll see you later